Thank you for listening to the KBU Evening News. Uh, this is Totality of Circumstances, a monthly show dedicated to police accountability in Portland. My name is Sam. And my name is Jasmine. And for the last uh, little over a year, I think we've been covering the activity of the Police Accountability Commission in Portland, which is tasked with implementing a measure passed by voters in late 2020 to create an entirely new police oversight system in the city. And so that's been taking up the majority of our bandwidth um, on this show for a good long while now. And today we're going to step back to look at something we've been covering even longer. Yeah, actually, that's true. Basically, a new toy that the police uh, are going to be getting, for better or worse, body cameras. Like you said, Jasmine, we've been covering body cameras even longer than the Police Accountability Commission. You think even before we were doing this show, which started yeah. in 2019, we had gone to several community forums. There was a big push, which was actually the second big push to get body cameras in Portland in like 2017, 2018. And there were a series of community forums and a whole task force within the Portland Police Bureau and the city to um, implement body cameras. And it really just kind of petered out. Like just to give you a Axon, the company that Portland is going to be uh, contracting with to do a body camera uh, pilot. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Pilot. Um, they first patented their body camera in 2008, but we, we've seen a huge increase in national usage of body cameras after the killing of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri in 2014. And then in 2015 is really when Portland started publicly starting a process to uh, implement this. It didn't really work then. It didn't really work in the 2017 and onward push. And now it is finally happening. And we'll talk a little bit more about how that came about later. Kind of the big background fact here is that, as you may have heard, Portland is the last city of its size it's the largest major city in the country without a body camera policy for its police force. Colleagues, today is a historic day for our city. After a decade of discussions and negotiations, we're finally able to move forward and implement a critical tool for transparency and accountability. That was Mayor Wheeler speaking at the April 26th City Council session. Uh, The critical tool for transparency and accountability that he mentioned there is, of course, body-worn cameras. And the agenda item that he was introducing was uh, adopting a letter of agreement between the Portland Police Association, the PPA, the union that represents rank-and-file officers, and uh, the city of Portland around... Uh, a finalized body-worn camera policy. So they came to that agreement. Within a week, the policy was approved, and there is a body cam pilot program coming to Portland in August. The pilot program, um, that will be limited to uh, Central Precinct, so um, essentially the west side of Portland and then a bit into inner northeast and southeast and also the focused intervention team, which is the police's relatively new sort of gun task force. The FIT does a lot of 
traffic stops and other things. So I think what we would expect is fit officers wearing body cams will be using those body cams during traffic stops and other consent searches and things like that. Just to put this in kind of a larger context for people, um, the the gun violence reduction team or task force, the GVRT, was the previous version of this. And they were disbanded during 2020 during the uh, massive protests here in Portland against police brutality and institutional racism. And it was essentially reformed under different leadership um, as the fit, the focused intervention team, as Jasmine was saying. And that same 2020 uh, flurry of activity around police accountability is also what produced the uh, ballot measure that created the Police Accountability Commission. So just to kind of tie all that together before we launch into body cameras. Awesome. Okay, so with that, what does it mean that body cams are coming to Portland? Um, first of all, it means that officers will be wearing cameras on their bodies that are pointed out towards whoever they're interacting with. There's some variation on the tech, but not really much worth mentioning. The tech that we are getting is Axon, which was previously Taser International. The big difference, because there's not a huge difference in the technology that's used, the big difference in terms of the impact on the public really comes down to the policies in place. So one of the big expectations of the public is transparency and accountability. Those are buzzwords that are used by governments uh, as well. But whether or not accountability actually results from body cams being used, like I said, really comes down to policy. So what were kind of the big sticking points on policy. What are the areas that are frequently debated? Uh, one of them is when when are the cameras on? This is a privacy question. Uh, this is an evidentiary question. So will, for example, police be filming public events? Will they be filming protests? Um, and what are the privacy implications of that? Will they be filming extremely private or traumatic events? One thing that comes up a lot is child abuse, domestic violence, stuff like that. And also just the fact that these cameras are will often be filming people on their very worst days. And what are, what are the implications of that and footage retention around that? And so that's the other really huge question is how long are recordings kept? There's a standard of a minimum length of time that recordings need to be kept if they're to be used as evidence, which gets us to kind of like the last big thing of body camera recordings as evidentiary tools. If the body camera footage is being used as evidence in any sort of case, then it can be held indefinitely. Uh, so that is the, the first sticking point when our cameras turned on. The second big sticking point is who turns the cameras on and off. So one way that technology does differ is that um, in some cases, supervisors have the ability to turn on an officer's body camera remotely, for example. Um, another thing that might happen is that body cameras might turn on automatically when an officer draws a weapon or turns on their lights and sirens, stuff like that. Another thing is body cameras might always be on. The most common option probably is officer control. So officers are responsible for turning their body cameras on and off. 
And then they need to be held accountable for when they do and don't turn their body cameras on and off. So when are the cameras on? Who turns the cameras on and off? And then who owns the recordings of all of this? The two sort of major options are the Bureau itself owns the recordings, uh, which is probably the most common. And then the other big option is that somebody that isn't the police bureau owns the recording. So that could be some outside oversight agency. That could be the city. That could be blah, blah, blah. Somebody that isn't the police. And then who can see the recordings and when? And this was probably the biggest one that came up in Portland. Uh, the Most of the debate has centered around this because there are really significant constitutional questions or constitutional implications maybe is a better way to put it around officer pre-review of footage for use of force events. And Sam, I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, this is the part where um, the powers that be in crafting this policy get a little murky because, um, you know, it's not as simple as the police and the city want to create a policy and there's public input and then they work with that. A, a major player in especially this part of the policy, like when officers can look at footage, has been the Portland Police Association, the rank and file police union. The final policy is only in place now because of negotiations between the city and the PPA finally ended and the policy was approved in April of this year. Um, and the PPA and some within the Portland Police Bureau management also really wanted officers to be able to view footage before filing reports, before being interviewed, pretty much right after an incident. And police reform advocates, and I'm I'm generalizing pretty hard here, but um, police reform advocates in general have made the argument that because of the standard that is applied to officers who use force about, you know, similar to the title of this show, they base it on the totality of the circumstances that were apparent to the officer in that moment, what was in their mind, not what was actually happening. Uh, so, like, for example, if an officer feels threatened and shoots somebody and it turns out the person is unarmed, what really matters in the court of law is that the police officer felt threatened. And so the reasoning behind not letting officers view footage before being interviewed is to really get an idea of what that officer was thinking and what was apparent to them in their own mind in that moment. And if they get to view footage, that gives them more of an opportunity to see what was actually happening again as a third party and not as a participant in the situation and to kind of potentially craft their story differently. And we all know that with Portland Police Association representation, they would have somebody there to help them formulate a way to describe the situation that is advantageous to them in terms of discipline and legal repercussions and um and criminal culpability because yeah. yeah the other thing i would say is i think you said if they have the ability to review the footage beforehand they get they they'll see what actually happened and i think it's important to qualify that with saying they'll see what was captured on the body cameras uh which may be very different than what actually happened I mean, I think a lot of people 
on both sides of the body camera question acknowledge that a body camera recording is a piece of the incident a piece of the narrative around what happened and so from a civil rights perspective if officers get to pre-review the footage then they get an opportunity to craft their narrative around one that already has some credibility because we tend to believe things that we see um so where did we end up (laughs) uh and the answer is kind of like a mix um so on the question of will officers be able to see recordings before they give statements the answer is sometimes and we'll get into more of the details around that in a second but so as far as the four questions when are the cameras on who turns them on and off who owns the recordings and who can see the recordings and when uh starting back with the first one when are the cameras on Officers will be able to film public events, uh, so they we can uh, assume that body cameras will be on at protests. Footage retention is governed by state law, and, and their policy is consistent with that. Um, okay, so who turns the cameras on and off? Um, do, do the officers have the ability to turn the cameras on and off? The answer is yes. And officers will be expected to turn their cameras on and off manually during traffic stops, service calls, and consent searches. So when I was talking earlier about the focused intervention team, uh, they cameras will be coming on during those consent searches only if the officers choose to turn them on. And it looks like commanding officers will not be able to remotely turn body cameras on. And my guess is that that was another thing that the PPA probably would have weighed in on just in as much as that's kind of a management labor issue. And then in terms of automatic activation of body cameras, as you were talking about, Jasmine, yes, uh, when sirens are turned on, when a taser is pulled, is deployed, or I think when it is removed from its holder and then when a gun is taken from its holster that will automatically uh, uh, trigger the body cameras, no pun intended. Yeah, so commanders can't. There's some automatic protections, but by and large, officers will be responsible for turning uh, body cameras on and off themselves, which means, which begs the question, if they don't turn them on, will there be consequences? Uh, Which gets back to this idea of accountability, Whether or not uh, body cameras are effective tools for increasing officer accountability is still an open question because there have been mixed results in the various studies that have been done. Some of the reasons why uh, these might be so mixed is that one, body cameras are pointed out. They're not pointed at the officers, so they don't actually always capture all of the officers' actions. As we just said, officers have the ability to turn them on and off, which means that they doubly don't necessarily capture all of the officer's actions and then who owns the recordings and who has access to them is another big question in the officer accountability column sam do you have an answer for us on what the policy says about that it's like it's the cops and uh i just i think it's worth 
I'll just read your little note in our outline here for the show. Um, will an outside agency own the recordings? LOL, no. Um, I think that was always kind of wishful thinking, knowing that the PPA would get involved because that, you know, it really that takes a lot of control out from the Portland police themselves if they were to do that. We several times asked the, the police accountability commission members if they had the intention of giving the new police oversight system control over body camera footage, which I think from a police accountability perspective makes a lot of sense. But yeah, after that came up in one of their meetings, we've been checking in with them periodically about it, and it looks like it's a complete non-starter. One thing that is a little discouraging, especially for people like us who like to make public records requests, the Bureau's records division is going to be in charge of the footage and the police bureau's records division is famously slow they have a backlog of about eighty thousand records to be processed right now um something that they'll be required to do is if there's a records request they'll need to blur it so people aren't identifiable they'll need to look through it to see if it interferes with any active investigations and so I think it's a safe bet that any, and this is editorializing, but I think it's a safe that any records request for body camera footage is going to take a long time if it even gets processed at all. So that would be from like a public or a journalistic perspective. I think there's still also kind of an open question on how easy it will be for investigators with the new oversight board to access body camera footage. If we think back to the independent police review IPR and some of their struggles, uh, which may have been mitigated a little bit because of some recent legislation, but in general, uh, if the police control things, there you can expect there to be barriers to access and sometimes pretty significant barriers. So if we know that um, the police own the recordings, the next question, the big, big question is who can see the recordings and when? So let's start with officers. As we said, the big question about officers being able to review footage before giving statements and writing reports in use of force cases is that, you know, the risk of completely tainting uh, the constitutional standard of uh, justifiable force, deadly force specifically. Deadly force is one of the four categories of force uh, that the police define um, for reporting and policy considerations. There's deadly force, um, which is force that could result in death. There's lesser force, which is force that could result in injury. Um, and so those are levels two and three on the police scale. And then there is um, lesser force, uh, category four, which is uh, considered to be unlikely to result in uh, serious injury. So depending on which category of force we're talking about, there are some nuances around what uh, pre-review rights are for officers. So in deadly force cases, officers will not be able to review their own body camera footage prior to giving their initial statement and neither will investigators. So the scenario that is proposed or that's written into the policy is officers can't review the footage before giving in a statement 
investigators can't review the footage before taking that initial statement. So officers and investigators will have an introductory initial conversation about the use of force circumstances. And then apparently they're both just going to take a break, review the body camera footage and come back and chat about it. So that's with deadly force. With lesser force, police officers are required to give a non-recorded, quote-unquote, candid statement to a supervisor before they have the ability to review their body camera footage. Witness officers, so officers who witnessed other officers using deadly force, will be able to review footage prior to giving their own statements and writing their own reports. And then category four force, that lowest type of force we mentioned, uh, uh, there will be no restrictions on officer review of footage. Another big thing is the supervisors. They put pretty serious limits. One of the big things uh, that is seen as kind of like an accountability or even from an officer training perspective is random audits of body camera footage. Uh, So without having any particular officer in mind, just doing random samplings um, and reviewing to see if the scenarios are consistent with policy and stuff like that. Um, there's also, you know, sometimes the idea that maybe there's a problematic officer and rather than just let them roam the streets and do whatever they want, we might randomly or sometimes, or, or, um, in a more focused way, review some of their footage. Um, but none of that's going to happen, uh, freely in this policy. Supervisors can view three random samplings per year of body camera footage, and that is it. Um, Body camera footage can't be used in performance reviews, um, and as you said, there will be no remote viewing. So that's the policy. Um, What is coming, Sam? Oh, I was about to ask you, but I can tell you the answer, actually. Um, So there's going to be a pilot program that the city is going to put in place uh, from August 21st through October 19th. Um, So almost two months and well, 60 days. And it's going to cover, as we said before, the central precinct. So west side and a little bit of the inner east side um, and the officers who are part of the focused intervention team, which is the current gun task force, quote unquote. And it's not really clear yet what is going to happen after the pilot program wraps up. Um, It's probably safe to assume that the DOJ will have another chance to review the policy um, with the input of data from the uh, pilot program and testimony around it and just seeing what kind of the results have been so far. Um, And it's not really clear what criteria they're going to use, uh, the city, the DOJ, Portland Police Bureau, uh, what criteria they're going to use to determine if the pilot was, quote unquote, successful or not successful or a complete failure. Um, And so we will uh, probably continue to report on that ahead of August. Another big consideration uh, that will have an impact on the public that we haven't discussed uh, yet is how much all of this is going to cost. Um, 
there is an initial cost uh, money that was already budgeted for this purpose uh, in fiscal year 2021, I believe, sometime in there. Um, that initial $2.6 million that will be used for this pilot program. Um, but there are other costs that will need ongoing funding if this program is implemented completely, which we expect it will be. Costs like uh, equipping more officers. So the pilot program is going to use some officers. Uh, once it, this goes into full implementation, we would expect the majority of uniform officers to be wearing these devices. So there's going to be costs associated with buying those. There's also data storage costs, which we don't know exactly what uh, those will look like yet. Um, obviously, probably we'll be using some sort of cloud storage. I'm not sure about that, but as more and more data is added, uh, the cost of maintaining that data increases. Um, so that could be potentially be something that would, you know, have an upward trend uh, as far as ongoing maintenance costs. So yeah, a lot of questions uh, remaining around how much this is going to cost uh, for the city of Portland. Uh, but the initial monies are the $2.6 million uh, that will be used to set up the pilot program. So that's what we got for you on body cameras this week. Obviously, there's a lot that is we're kind of in a, a little bit of a dead zone and we'll have a way more to say about that once the pilot program gets operational in August. Um, but currently, uh, we're still going to be focusing on the activity of the Police Accountability Commission overall. And so just to give you an idea of what the Police Accountability Commission is currently up to, they're in their second to last phase where they're working on the transition plan. And I believe their final phase is going to be focused on primarily getting the word out and getting um, presenting it to city council for approval. And they have some upcoming meetings that you can attend. They're all available on Zoom, I think exclusively on Zoom. They're um, doing some public information sessions, some of which will be uh, in person, but for the majority of meetings, they are virtual. Um, so there's a meeting on Thursday, the 25th, uh, for the subcommittee on the transition plan at 7 p.m. Then on Tuesday, the 30th, skipping Monday's Memorial Day at 7 p.m., the subcommittee on the broader system will be meeting and there's going to be a full commission meeting on Monday, June 1st at 6.30 p.m. And you can find the information for all of these at their website at portland.gov slash police dash accountability. So with that being said, thank you so much for listening to Totality of Circumstances this month. We are on every fourth Tuesday at 5.30, right after the KBU Evening News here on KBOO Portland, your community radio station. My name is Sam. My name is Jasmine. Have a good night. Good night.